Hey, good morning. Whoa. <clears throat> How good to be with you again this morning. Hey, let's pray again. We've already prayed a few times, but let's pray again and ask that God would speak to us. Father God, we've already asked you a few times, but we long for you who are so richly generous to speak to us again now. Reveal yourself and your son to us. And give us wisdom, for we long to please you. We want to know how we ought to behave when it comes to money and wealth in your house. We ask that you'd speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began this mini-series on money with a focus on global generosity. Our wealth for the world. We went not on a guilt trip, but a grace trip all the way through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because it is by grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus, who is so rich, but became so poor that we might be rich. It is by grace that even beggars beg to give globally and take part in true prosperity and global thanksgiving. Now, if you were here last week or you just tuned in online, I hope you did your homework and you had a little look at your budget. Because today, this week, we turn to wealth here. If you're new and visiting, welcome. You've joined us today for an internal audit. What difference does Jesus make to my money? Our money? His money? Here, at Wild Street, in the church, the household of God. Today, we're going to attempt an overview of what the Bible teaches about wealth in the household of God. And we're going to focus on 1 Timothy, which was written so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And just like Jesus speaks more about money than he does about sex or violence or even heaven and hell, So Paul packs 1 Timothy full of clear instruction about how we ought to behave in the church when it comes to wealth. And it's in 1 Timothy that we find the source of the infamous saying, money is the root of all evil. Or a point one of the outline, if you've got it there, is money really the root of all evil? Well, have you ever thought that the Bible does seem pretty negative about money? Every time that Jesus speaks about money, he always speaks with a warning. Jesus says, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. When he saw merchants making money in the temple, Jesus was angry. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, made a whip, and he drove out the merchants who made his father's house a den of robbers. It was the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, who were described as lovers of money. It was Judas, the betrayer, who not only stole from the common purse, but in the end sold our Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And when that rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked him, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus told him, sell all you have, Distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, How difficult it is 
for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says how difficult it is for the rich. Some leave sad, but others of us say, nah, I'll give it a try. I'll make it through the eye of the needle. Sometimes the Bible can seem pretty negative about money, but while the Bible clearly does warn about the dangers of money, it doesn't actually say that money is the root of all evil. No, money may have its dangers, but it is the love of money that destroys. If you have your Bibles open to our passage today, flip or scroll back up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Here, Paul is speaking about false teachers who only preach to get rich. Creflo Dollars, Joel Olsteins, Kenneth Copelands. He says that these false teachers are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For money is the root of all, oh, no, no, Uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, there's a lot in there, but do you see that it's not money, but the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evils? Yes, money may have its dangers, but it is the love of money that destroys. It's not being rich, but desiring to be rich that plunges people into ruin and destruction. And brothers and sisters, this is a sober warning. Do you love money? Do you wish you had just a little, maybe a lot more? Now, I'm not talking about needing a little, maybe needing a lot more. There are people in our congregation who are doing it tough. But is food and clothing really good enough for you? Are you content with what you have? Or are you jealous of the rich and all that money can buy? I think most of us find something to be a little jelly about as we look out at the opulent eastern suburbs, I mean houses and cars and clothes and tech and lifestyle and location, location, location. Would your bank, would your life be better if your bank balance was more like, um, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk before he bought Twitter? Because if you are obsessed with money and you want to be rich, then be warned. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We must all guard ourselves against this love of money and fight against the desire to become rich. But what if we are rich already? I mean, we meet today in one of the wealthiest suburbs 
of one of the wealthiest nations in perhaps the wealthiest era of history that has ever been. And while there are those of us here who are struggling financially, there are many of us here who are very wealthy. I'm not going to start naming names, but, you know, should you feel guilty about your money? Is it wrong to be rich? Should you get rid of your money as fast as you can and pass on the problem to somebody else? Do the rich here at Wall Street need to repent of being rich? Keep your Bibles open today to our passage for today, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where we will discover that what the Bible has to say about wealth is far richer. Here, Paul tells Timothy what to command the Christian rich who, by the grace of God, have made it through the eye of that needle. And you might be surprised to find what wealth is not for, where wealth comes from, and finally, what wealth is for. So first, what wealth is not for. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We began with warnings about wealth, and here the warnings continue, because wealth is not for pride or for hope. If you've read Harry Potter, it's the poor Weasleys who get mocked endlessly. If you watch the movie Aladdin, it's the street rat who's on the outside, wishing he could be on the inside. It's hard to be proud about poverty, about second-rate stuff, about the places you haven't been or you can't afford to go, about the experiences that you haven't had. It's not easy to admit that you can't afford to join in, that you can't afford to give your children the very best. It's hard to be proud when you're poor. It's far easier to be proud when you're rich, when you can invest in yourself and build yourself up with the very best, high above the rest. You don't have to worry about what you need you can afford to worry about what you want. Every advertisement whispers it. You've earned it. You deserve it. You're worth it. Do you know how much this number plate costs? And why that guy's looking at him with, with uh, those kind of crazy eyes? Uh, $14 million. And I learned this in my audiobook two days ago. Do you know how much Winston Churchill spent on his undies every year? $8,000. Because when everyone else has their mansion and you already have your fleet of luxury cars, how else can you set yourself apart? Oh yes, it's easy to be proud when you're rich and you can afford to invest in yourself and build yourself up higher than the rest. And brothers and sisters, this is how our world thinks about wealth. But not here at Wild Street. Not here in the household of God. Wealth is not meant to divide us, some up higher than the rest. No, you are not bigger if you have more bucks in your bank account. Wealth is not for investing in ourselves, pushing ourselves up higher than others. And nor is it for hope. Because only fools set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You know, where possible, wise people put their hopes on certain outcomes. It's just dumb to set your hopes on what's not certain. And earthly wealth is as volatile as a stock market and as vulnerable as any freak accident. My uncle was a wealthy surgeon. And then the car in front of him 
as he was riding his bike, came to a screeching halt, and he became a quadriplegic. Don't store up your treasure on earth, Jesus says. In Palestine, Jesus warned of moth and rust. In Australia, bushfire and flood, pandemic, perhaps war on the horizon. And not only is money uncertain, it is powerless. Oh yeah, money can open many doors. Maybe you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, where a con man, he finds that his ill-gotten gains can open so many doors, get him into so many places, gets into airline lounges, fancy restaurants, even the bed of a beautiful woman. But his money couldn't save his parents' marriage or bring him any peace. The fuller his bank balance became, the emptier his life. You know, we live in one of the wealthiest countries on earth, and yet we are racked by anxiety and mental health issues. The famous novelist John Steinbeck, he said, maybe everyone's too rich. I've noticed there's no dissatisfaction like that of the rich. Feed a man, clothe him, put him in a good house, and he will die of despair. Because while money can open many doors, it cannot fix our deepest problems. Money can't buy you happiness. It can't buy you purpose. And it certainly cannot buy you love. The greatest of the Bible's love poems, the Song of Songs, says that if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And of course, money cannot buy forgiveness. Money can't keep us from death and judgment. That's what was read for us in Psalm 49, that no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Brothers and sisters, are you setting your hopes on the uncertainty of riches? If I ask you if you've got enough for tomorrow, or maybe enough for your retirement, is the first thing that you think of the value in your bank balance or your super fund? Do you even think about God at all? you've got no bank account to think of, then all you've got to think of is God. But if your fridge is stuffed and your wardrobe overflowing, if you've got your house and you have power to purchase whatever you want, uh, then it's easy to forget God and to set your hopes on other things. Daily bread? I can afford to pay. I don't need to pray. It's exactly what God warned the people of Israel about just before they entered the promised land. God warned these recent slaves now poor wanderers, that in a moment they're going to become rich and they will be tempted to forget him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Take care lest you forget the Lord, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. The danger of being rich is that we might forget the Lord our God because we have so many other things to remember. We have wealth to keep us safe for tomorrow and give us everything we need. But wealth is uncertain and it is ultimately powerless. So let us wake up, Wild Street. Perhaps we need to be praying for the precious people in our midst who are rich, that God would help them not to forget him. Perhaps we need to pray the famous prayer from Proverbs. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. My uncle, who became a quadriplegic, he lived on a few years before he died. And just before he died, my dad got to be with him. And he said something my dad didn't expect. He said, I thank God for doing this because he needed to do this to get a hold of me. I was going away from him and he needed to do this to bring me back. Brothers and sisters, wealth is not for pride or hope. Don't be haughty and set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Instead, and we're at point three, where wealth comes from, set your hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, I don't think most Australians today believe that. I think most Australians today, they believe that God is either a stingy miser who needs to be manipulated into giving them good stuff by doing good stuff for him, or they think he's an unnecessary hypothesis. Uh, We were over uh, with our non-Christian family who had put on a really nice spread and having a good time, and um, we went to thank God for the food just with our kids on the side, uh, and the host interrupted and said, don't thank God, thank me. I worked hard for that. I cooked it. Reminded me of the Simpsons prayer. God, we paid for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. (laughs) I think this is most Australians. They see God as an unnecessary hypothesis. But this is the pride and the folly of the rich. I'm sorry, Homer Simpson. I didn't know that you maintained the laws of the physical universe. Oh, your money keeps gravity going, does it? Well done. You bankrolled the invention of breathing and sized up the capacity of your lungs and the precious composition of gases maintained by our atmosphere to help with just one critical function of your life. Wow, well done on that choice that you made to be born in a prosperous place at a peaceful time with a beautiful body and innate talents and a good private school just down the road. What a sad selfish view with nobody to thank or depend on but the bible teaches and we can see it everywhere that we rely on god for everything yes you cooked it but only because god upholds your very being yes you worked for it but only because god is always at work to give you a world where you can live and work and have your being Even you who thanklessly treat God as an unnecessary hypothesis. Jesus teaches us that God is the God who makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God richly provides even to those who continue to treat him like an unnecessary hypothesis. And that alone should be enough to convince us That God is not a miser who needs to be manipulated to give us good stuff. God's not an Ebenezer Scrooge hoarding for himself or a Santa who only gives to those who are good. No, God is more like Niagara Falls. Somebody once entered a photo of Niagara Falls in in a competition and the caption they put was more to come. More to come. Because God is like a million Niagara Falls. There is always more to come. 
God is a God who richly provides all things. In the beginning, God made a good world and he stuffed it full of treasure, planted a garden bursting with fruitfulness. And even when we squander our wealth and invest our resources in our selfish selves, even when we thanklessly sell the Lord of glory for the price of our own desires, God keeps on giving For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to pay that costly ransom, the price of our lives, so that we can be forgiven. We can live on forever and never see the pit. And if that were not enough, if it were not enough for God to give us his only son, he wants to give us more. Yes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is like a million Niagara Falls. There's always more to come. And if you don't know God like this, if you haven't received the gift of forgiveness and unending gifts, then today is the day. Sell everything you have. Give it all up if it's keeping you from receiving Jesus and in him everything and every gift of God. Because if you have God, then you have everything. And if you don't have God, then one day even what you do have will be taken away. It's only God's forgiven people who can be certain that God will richly provide everything for us forever. And do you see why he gives us everything? We're at our final point, point four, what wealth is for. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To enjoy. There's this lie in our culture that if you are privileged, you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty about being rich or talented or white or whatever. Now, admittedly, there are some complexities here, but unless you stole your privileges, and then you should definitely give them back, then you shouldn't feel guilty about your gifts. You should feel grateful. You should enjoy them. God gives good gifts. And he wants us to enjoy them. And you know what the best way to enjoy your gifts is? And all the wealth God's given? By doing good. Verse 18. They are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous. And ready to share. Wealth is not for pride or hope. No, wealth comes from God. And it's for in, to enjoy by doing good. Christians don't enjoy their gifts by indulging themselves. Earlier in 1 Timothy, we're told that she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. As one writer says, if you don't love to give, then you're not a Christian at all. Hold on to your money, give none of it away, and you will be beggars for all eternity. Ah, but it's your money I want. It's your happiness. It's your joy. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. I want your blessedness, your happiness. And the happy life 
is joining God in doing good works, being rich in good works. Instead of pride that divides and sets us apart, being generous and ready to share and knit together in love. Does this describe you? Would your child or your mum or your brother and sister at church, would they know you as someone who is rich in good works, generous and ready to share? Do you want to be? Let me give you a couple of opportunities. And these really are just a couple of opportunities because there's no end of ways to love God and our neighbor. And of course, it's not just the rich uh, who can be rich in these good works. We're about to meet a poor widow who has a reputation for good works. But there are some good works that wealth is made for, or at least good for. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, we meet two groups of people who I think represent two groups of interconnected needs, which wealth is made for meeting. Earthly needs, represented by the widows, and eternal needs, represented by the elders. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, says, Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, we're privileged here at Wall Street uh, to have some widows with us. And if you are a widow with us today, then God really does know how hard your suffering is. He cares especially for you, and he's written your sufferings into his book. Because in the Bible, the poor are given faces. They are the orphan, the sojourner, and the widow. And God's people have always been commanded to care for the poor in their community. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were commanded to say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Moreover, I've given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. Now, we'll come to the Levite in a moment, but do you see how God commanded his sacred portion was to be given to the poor amongst his people? Half of 1 Timothy 5 is devoted to how the household of God is meant to leverage their wealth for the poor, especially the widow. And there's so much wisdom here, I don't have time to unpack. We might talk about it over morning tea or something, I don't know. But I want to show you three things. First, with our wealth, we have an obligation to our biological family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, to make some return for their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. I think this verse is also pleasing in the sight of parents. <laughs> I mean, have you made a good return for your parents? Are you caring for your family? This pleases God. And if not, well, look at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. Wow, we have an obligation to care for the biological family God has given us. Not to give them everything they want, but certainly to help meet their needs. Secondly, we have an obligation to our Christian family. We are to care for those who are truly widows. The Bible is clear, we saw it all throughout our series in Acts, that we are to meet the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters. 
1 John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And I want to say here that my family has been on the receiving end of this sort of generosity from Wild Street in so many ways. Now, if you're visiting today, I can honestly say that if you want to join a community where the wealthy are generous, they meet so many needs, where meals are made for people who are sick or who have newborns, where money is given to lend a helping hand and far more, and it's not just the rich, there's a widow at church who helps us with our babysitting. And we've not had to buy clothes for our children because you have shared what you've had. We're so grateful to be part of a community that is rich in good works. And by the blood of Jesus, you are welcome to join our family. We are to use our wealth to do good to our biological family, our Christian family. Thirdly, we are to be a community whose wealth overflows in love to our neighbors. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to our Christian family, but whenever we have the opportunity, whenever, to everyone. In the early church, Christian writers boasted that Christians are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. And it wasn't just the Christians saying, it wasn't just propaganda. Look at the enemy of the Christians, the Roman Emperor Julian, who persecuted Christians. Check out what he had to say. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It's a scandal. There's not a single Jew who's a beggar. The Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. What would it be if that was our reputation, Wild Street? We should be a community whose wealth overflows. Do you leverage your wealth to do good to your family, to your church family, and for the community at large? Now, if you want to join us in these endeavors, we've just missed out on the Christmas boxes, which are already been sent out, but we do support needy children through compassion and through Anglican aid. And you may not even know that we have a partner's relief fund to care for congregation members who are in need. And if you want to give to any of these, you can do so, I think you can do it online, but you can at least do it by writing on an envelope and popping it in the back in the giving box that I have since discovered where it is. And if you do this, then we can help meet one another's earthly needs. But the other half of 1 Timothy 5 is devoted to the elders who serve eternal needs, caring for all of us in our poverty of spirit. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the Levite. In the New Testament, it's the elders and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, the whole book of 1 Timothy, which you should read later, by the way, to make sure this is all true from God, it's very much about teaching, stopping false teachers and teaching the gospel truly. 
Because our behavior in the household of God, the way we handle our money, comes from the teaching of the true gospel. All of this comes from Jesus. He makes this difference with our wealth. So the leaders who teach are to be carefully selected. A few verses later, Paul's going to tell Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. For overseers must not be a lover of money. Deacons must not be greedy for dishonest gain. These leaders are to be carefully selected as they have been here at Wild Street. I mean, if you've been to Rod and Leone's house, then you will know how simply they live. So Christian leaders are to be worthy of a double honor. They are worth their wages. Brothers and sisters, using our wealth to fund the proclamation of the gospel is not another opportunity. It is our privilege and our obligation. Non-Christians are not going to pay for the proclamation of the gospel here at church or around the world. And as our church budget is currently sitting at a deficit, I reckon we can do better. Here's a picture of our gospel workers. They're all looking pretty good, I reckon. Do you benefit from their labor? Do you benefit from their many ministries? Brothers and sisters, the laborer deserves his wages. Rod deserves his wages. Eleanor deserves her wages. I mean, don't you want to see our children grow? Isn't it a privilege to have this time as adults and our children to have their time being trained and growing? I mean, don't you value the work that Josh puts into the life course with Andy? How many people? Wow, praise God, it's so exciting. I want to fund that. Don't rob those who labor to preach and teach what will build you up for eternity. Don't rob yourself of the opportunity to store up for eternal treasure. Eternal treasure brings us to our final point. Final, final point, I promise. Wealth is not for pride or for hope. No, wealth comes from God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To enjoy by doing good for the sake of eternal treasure. You know, we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything out of it. But somehow the Christian rich can, verse 19, store up for themselves as a good foundation for the future, treasure, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In many ways, wealth is always about the future, right? Money stores value, which you can trade in tomorrow for what you really want. You know, does my daughter really want a $2 coin? No. She wants tomorrow to take that $2 coin and trade it in for a juice cup. And if you don't know the value of juice cups, you're missing out on life. All right? To Josie, $2 today means a juice cup tomorrow. What do you really want to trade your money in for? Because the reward for obeying these commands is treasure in heaven. God is inviting you today to invest your perishable, uncertain wealth for imperishable, certain treasures in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that is the best exchange rate ever right? Invest your money, earthly money, in heaven, in heavenly shares that pay eternal dividends. Now, I know that you want to know what the treasures are, don't you? Yeah. They are better than we can imagine. 
the pleasure of God, brothers and sisters helped on their way to their eternal home, brothers and sisters who wouldn't otherwise be there, but because of our grubby little coins, we'll get to walk on streets of gold forever. It's incredible. Like Niagara Falls, with God, there's always more to come. He gives the rich their treasures after having saved them from death by the grace of giving his son on the cross. He stuffs their hand with treasures and he includes them in the blessing of giving. But then he rewards the rich for, with heavenly treasures for the way they use the earthly treasures that he gave them in the first place. You can never outgive God. He is so incredibly generous. Wealth at Wild Street. Brothers and sisters, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. By grace, even beggars beg to give globally for true prosperity and global thanksgiving. So let's use our wealth to meet earthly needs and eternal needs. Let's keep being generous. And let's get better at it. So that together, we can get on with enjoying all that he so richly provides us to his glory forever and ever.